uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. And let's pray as we turn to God's word this morning. Amen. Father, we just ask for your help, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning for your anointing, Lord, that the Spirit of God would move, Lord, that you would quicken us both to preach and to hear your word this morning. We pray, Lord, give help. Lord, we pray, Lord, speak, Lord, clearly. Lord, into our hearts today, Lord. Lord, reveal your heart to us, Lord. Lord, would you speak, Lord. Lord, have your way among us. We pray your name will be glorified. Lord, all across this land where your word is preached faithfully today, across these islands, Lord, we pray for a mighty outpouring of your spirit. Lord, for a great revival in your people. Lord, we know you're coming soon. Lord, we just ask, Lord, make us ready. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 Samuel and chapter 1. And then we're going to go over to Zechariah. Just this one verse I'll be using in Zechariah. You'll know it. Chapter 4, verse 6, just over the next few weeks as well. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathim, Sophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroboam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tuho, the son of Suf, an Ephraite. That was hard. <laughs> and these are all my own teeth as well, so they stayed in. Praise the Lord. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, and Hannah had no children. This man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. The two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. When the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons, her daughters, and portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk, now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Like Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And just one other verse, if you turn over 
in the Zechariah uh, chapter 4. This will sort of be like an anchor verse through these three weeks as we refer to 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, Zechariah 4 and verse 7. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but but my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. I want to introduce these few messages this morning, uh, just bringing it into the context of what was happening at this time. Um, this is, as we come into 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's an end of a season of perhaps around 350 years. That's the previous book, the Judges. And Judges is a period of time um, between the conquest of Canaan with Joshua and the conquest of taking the promised land. Joshua judges is a time between the death of Joshua until the kings began. That was under King Saul and then King David and, and so forth. And so in between this period of time, we have about 350 years or so. And this season of the judges uh, was a perpetual cycle in in Israel, this basically what was happening. There's six things happening over 350 years, and then there's a new season about to begin. God had clearly spoke to Israel and said, here is my blessing, and this is how you receive my blessing. And he pronounced this blessing upon them. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16, we'll see God's instruction, and then we'll look at just the cycle for a moment as we work through God's Word this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16, uh, there was a commandment given to Israel and uh, through Moses, and Moses said, Deuteronomy 30, verse 16, In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whether thou go to possess it. So the blessing of the Lord, it was very simple. You walk in my way, you walk according to my word, and you'll have my blessing upon you. I'll, I'll protect you, I'll provide for you, I'll keep you in everything. You know, the Bible tells us that we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, lean not on our own understanding, and all thy ways, what are we to do? Acknowledge him, what will he do? He'll direct our paths. And if we love the Lord, Jesus said, so that we don't just see this, that is an Old Testament thing, but if we love Jesus, we're going to keep his word or keep his commandments. We'll walk in his way. The blessing of the Lord is as we follow him in his word. And if we love him, uh, we will follow him. But then it says there in verse 17, so that was the blessing. But if thine heart turn away, so thou will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish. And that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. So there was a choice that, that they were given as God's people. Walk in my way, I'll bless you. God wants to bless his people. Walk out of my way, walk in your own way in disobedience. Then we know what happens. Don't we know what happens? Then the problems are caused. So we understand this as we're coming into the period of the judges after Joshua dies. There arose another generation that tells us it did not know God or his mighty acts. And so they believed that they could live the way they wanted to live. So we start off, you walk in God's way, you're blessed. You turn away from God's way, we start to see the cycle that took place in the judges. Disobedience, 
It brought in apostasy. We need to be careful in the days in which we're living of the great departure from the faith, departing from the truth of God. So there was apostasy. There was the worship of foreign gods. There was disobedience. The blessing of the Lord is lifted. What happens? The enemy rises up. There's judgment that comes upon the people, not in the sense of the wrath and the final judgment, but God begins to judge the nation. Then there's oppression. There's distress. And all of a sudden, the enemy has the upper hand. They've gone from blessing, and now it seems as though they're under the control of their enemies in the physical side. So then the people cry out. This is the fourth thing. So they obey. Secondly, they disobey. Thirdly, there's judgment. Number four, they get so sick and tired of living defeated lives, they begin to cry out to God. What does God do? He hears them. God hears, and he answers prayer. And as they cry out in their bondage, something wonderful happens, not by might nor by power, but by, says the Lord. So the Spirit of God moves upon a judge, a man or a woman. There's 13 judges named in the book of Judges, and there's another judge not named in the book of Judges, and he'll become one of our focuses over the next couple of weeks. His name's Samuel, the last judge. And so they begin to cry out. God hears them, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a man, or Deborah, Samson, all these great Jephthah, Gideon, all these judges over a period of 350 years, they cry out, the Spirit of the Lord moves, and a man is raised up, Gideon's army, Samson, he rises up in the power of the Holy Ghost, he pulls the gates of the city, you know you know all the stories, he destroys the Philistines, we see God begins to move by Spirit, why? He's responding to the people as they cry out, God, we need a deliverance. We need a move of your spirit. We need you to come, Lord. Forgive us for our sins, for walking away from your word, for for denying you, Lord, for for compromising our walk. And so God would come as they cry out because his purpose is to bless his people. God wants to give. God wants to bless. And so they cry out. A judge would be raised up. And this judge would bring deliverance to the people. And so the cycle just repeats itself over 350 years. It's the same cycle. You'd think that after all these years, we would learn. Wouldn't you? You'd think that, but we know that we are prone to wonder. We're prone to leave the God that we love. The cycle doesn't really change. That in our, in our own mind, in our independent mind, we think, well, I can do this my own way or do it my own. And we've all learned, all of us have learned that we cannot do it on our own strength, or our own way. Our way just leads to destruction. His way leads to life. Isn't that right? And we just, there's something within us from that nature, that old man that we have inherited that constantly wants to fight against us, the flesh against the spirit. And the flesh always brings forth death. And so the problem always began, if you note this, just as we're working through it, the problem always began with God's people. It didn't begin with the enemy because if God's people were walking in God's way, then God would bless them and God would lead them and guide them and protect them. But once they started to choose their own way, then the problems began. And so we read, and I know understand the context of this in 1 Peter chapter 4, but it tells us there the time would come that judgment had to begin at the house of God. It begins first with God's people. And so the Spirit of the Lord would come, and that was always the answer. The answer is always the Spirit of the Lord coming upon a people. But there's a new season about to happen when we turn into 1 Samuel chapter 1. Something new is about to happen. And when we 
see this in the context of Scripture, and we see it throughout. When God's about to do something new, something supernatural happens. And it's often, and you'll find often in Scripture, it was the birth supernaturally of a baby. So when you think of Abraham and Sarah, what happened? God blessed that womb, and that womb brought forth Isaac. So there was something new that was about to take place. You come forward into the New Testament, the forerunner of Christ. There was Elizabeth. She's about to have a baby. It's supernatural. Who comes forth? John the Baptist. And the greatest of all, Mary, a virgin, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is born of a virgin to bring us into the new covenant, the New Testament, in his blood. When there's a principle when we see that God is about to move by a spirit. There's a supernatural intervention of God. There's a birth of something that's spiritual. Hannah, it tells us here, her womb was shut. Even though she was greatly loved, she was, had a worthy portion from her husband. But there was something new in the horizon. There was something in God that was about to happen. After hundreds of years of this perpetual cycle of blessing and curse and crying out in bondage and deliverance coming, God was about to do something new. There was about to be something supernatural that would take place, that would bring the end of this whole season of the judges, and God would birth in Samuel something new. So when we look at this this morning, the birth of something new, we realize that as we're approaching that birth, there's a relentless opposition of satanic power. Now, this is, I'm bringing us somewhere with this because I believe there's a parallel and there's lessons for us to be learned. As we're approaching the final run of the age, we realize there's an intensity spiritually. There's an intensity of satanic power because the devil knows his time's near up, right? He knows his time is short. So when we're approaching this end of the age, as we're running in, as it were, in the final lap, we know that Christ is about to come. We know there'll be an awakening in the church of Jesus Christ. But we now are facing a relentless opposition because the enemy knows, the enemy knows that his time is short. Jesus is about to come. This intensity then has to be met with a persistent faith in God through prayer. Now, I, I just want, that's going to be sort of the theme as we're working through this. But in James chapter 5, verse 15, it says the prayer of faith, it saves or delivers the sick. It's the prayer of, would you say faith this morning? It just didn't say the prayer will save the sick. It said the prayer of faith is going to save the sick or deliver the sick. I just want to make it simple this morning so that we all understand it. You have a car, but that car needs petrol. And you can sit in that car with no petrol in it, no matter if it's a Mercedes-Benz, if it's a what is, what is an RX-7 or whatever these boys, or an RS or whatever it may be. But if you have no petrol in your car, your car isn't going anywhere. And friends, if you have no faith in your prayers, our prayers don't go anywhere. There needs to be the prayer of faith as a conviction and a persuasion that when I pray that God hears me and God's going to answer me. 
Do you understand? We can just rattle off prayers and say things, but there's got to be a mixture of faith in our prayers. There has to be a persuasion this morning that when we pray for the sick that will gather into this house tonight, the Bible says, you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. The Bible tells us that if you're sick, you call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint you with oil. They're going to pray the prayer of faith and the Lord is going to deliver them. There has to be a mixture of faith in our prayers in order for us to see that great deliverance. So there has to be a faith in us. Now, as we look at this this morning, the enemy's strategy in all of this is an intensity of spiritual opposition in the final moments of of time. And for what we believe that God desires to do in breaking through in revival power, so we will face, just like Hannah faced it, an intensity, a spiritual opposition that will come against the church of Jesus Christ. But you're going to overcome by faith in Jesus and a persistent faith. Here's the victory this morning. The victory is you just keep going and keep believing. That may not some I can't write a book about that. That's just one line. But the victory there often is that you don't stop. You just keep believing. You keep praying. You keep singing. You keep reading. You keep rejoicing. You keep going on. You keep pressing on. That is the victory. It's a persistent faith and 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 the relentless attack of the enemy. So the tactics this morning of the enemy first, and then we'll look at the promises of the child of God. So the tactics here we see, and I want you to just follow this through in your Bibles, and I want to stick strictly to God's Word this morning. not going to go for any extra biblical ideas on what the enemy does. I'm just going to come to the Word of God because it's sufficient this morning. It gives us everything we need to know in God's Word this morning. So we see the tactic in verse 6 and 7 in 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says that her adversary, that's her enemy, provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as as he did, so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. And therefore she wept and she did not eat. So we see just in this, these two verses, and this is year by year. This isn't something just over a, a couple of weeks. Year by year, we see a persistent work of the enemy to cause this woman to fret and to fear. And she wept. She did not eat. She was in the battle of her life. Listen, she was in the battle of her life. She was persistent in faith and in believing. But the enemy was relentless in coming against her. There was a relentless pursuit of the enemy against her as she continued year by year to go and to believe and to weep and to make her petition known unto the Lord. Yet the relentless intensity of spiritual opposition was constant in this woman's life. She's believing. And friends, there are some and there are many, and I believe all of us to certain extents and maybe different circumstances are believing God, are believing God against everything that's happening around us. We are against a flow of something that's taken place, a flood of wickedness that's come into our nation, across our society, in every avenue of our society. There's been an intense wickedness outpouring of devilish activity that we have not witnessed. 
And yet in that there's a remnant that are persistent in faith to believe against all of this that God's going to move in his power and God's going to save for his glory and for his namesake and that we're on the threshold of a great revival. There is a persistent, relentless pursuit of the enemy against the church of Jesus Christ. And there's only a faith in him that believes God against all of this. It's only that faith that's going to overcome in all of this. That faith in him. So the tactic of the enemy, and I just I always start with this one first because I believe it's the most significant one and the most effective one. And that is, she was caused to fret or fear. And the first one that I just want to look at this this morning and the tactics is the fear that the enemy brings. The fear. 2 Timothy 1 and 7. Would you turn, follow this through this morning? Because the reason why I believe fear is the most effective tool or strategy of the enemy is because fear disables faith. Fear disables faith. When you move into the realm of fear, fearing that God won't answer, fearing that God won't break through, fearing in some way that, that, that you can't make it, then once you move into that realm, it's like he's disabled faith in God. And when the Son of Man comes, the Bible says, shall he find faith on the earth? Faith's important. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith. So fear will disable faith. And 2 Timothy 1 and 7 tells us there that God has not given us the spirit of fear. But a power, would you read it with me? And love and of a sound mind. I tell you what fear does. Fear disturbs your mind. Anything else it does, but it does disturb your mind. When fear comes, fear is very real. It's a spirit of fear, small s. It is how the enemy works. It's the fiery darts of the enemy to come into the mind. I often mention it. I'll just be honest with you. There's many times that it is a particular area that I would battle with. That is fear, and maybe not in the same sense that someone else may battle it, but I know the battle is the mind. I know that's where the battle is. But he'll keep in perfect peace. His mind is stayed there. So everything of the spirit of fear is to get your mind off him. Is to get your mind off him. And that's the power of the enemy. The enemy is to disable us that our faith is not in God. But we're looking at the circumstances. We're looking at the waves. We're looking at the storms. Once you look at them, I tell you, maybe not you. We're just like Peter, aren't we? We're going down. Then we say, Lord, save us. No, he does. He saves us. So the enemy's tactic is fear. Just like here with Hannah. In Ephesians 6 and verse 11, if you turn over to these, I know a lot of these you'll know off by heart. But I just want to go through the tactics this morning that as an introduction to these few weeks. Ephesians 6 and verse 11, we're instructed there by the Apostle Paul to put on the whole armor of God that ye might be able to stand against the wiles. That word also means the tricks of the devil. He's a trickster. He's a trickster. He has plans and tricks and wiles to try and come against us by every means. He's more subtle than any beast of the field. If he slithers in or he comes in, you know, in a tank, whatever way he's going to come, but he's going to come. But we wrestle not against the flesh and the blood, 
But we're wrestling against principalities and powers and against the rulers of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the, the enemy here, it tells us clearly that there are the trickery of the enemy. And there's a battle that we're engaged in. We're in a war. This is a warfare. This is a war. This is a spiritual war. This is why we're still here on this earth. This is why the church is birthed. To wage a good warfare. To fight a good fight. To run a good race. And to finish the... It takes courage. It takes faith. It takes conviction. But that's what we're engaged in. So the enemy will seek to bring us away from the word of God. Into a place to disable our faith. Our whole faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So our faith is encouraged. It's built up. When it says that my people are destroyed by a lack of knowledge. In the last days, people will be more interested in reading a book that somebody else is. I'm not against that if it's a good book, but they'll be reading books. They'll be listening to tapes. That's not wrong either, or CDs, or anything else. But friends, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the living God, this Bible. And so today, we are destroyed because there's not a feasting or a meditating on the word of God. That's how faith comes. So deception comes very easy. It's very easy for deception to come because if we don't know the word, then we'll believe the lies of the enemy because his lies are often part truths. They're the most dangerous lies or ones that are half truths. That's deception. So fear was a tactic used against this woman and it will be a fear, a spirit of fear that will be used in the last days against the church with a great intensity and it's against that mind the second one i want to talk about this morning is <clears throat> found in second uh, corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 i'll take you to this verse first then it's 1 corinthians 10 and 13 is the verse that we'll look at but second corinthians 2 and 11 says less satan should get an advantage of us. And I know it's in the context of forgiveness and unforgiveness. But then it goes on to say, for we are not ignorant <clears throat> of his. And there's a very popular 21st century word, devices. Isn't, it isn't the Bible so up to date? They say the King James language isn't used today. I'll tell you, the King James language is bang up to date. Bang up to date. We're not ignorant of his devices. Devices, of course, devices is the, the, the N word, I think anyway, but it's the popular word today, devices. We're not ignorant of his devices. Sadly, I, I wish that was so true. I wish, it was, I wish it was true that we are not ignorant of his devices. The most and effective tool of the enemy to destroy people's lives, both young and old, but particularly our young people, and they know better than someone like me coming up to middle-aged. But, you know, the most effective tool to destroy our, our generation, which are the devices, the world's devices. You know it. I know it. There's no much point. It's like the elephant in the room sometimes. We all know it. It's the devices of the enemy to destroy, to destroy a whole host, a whole generation of young people. 
have been destroyed because of devices. The world's devices. The, the latest one out. You know, every there's a new one. Apple's a new one. Samsung's a new one. This is a new one. There's all these new ones. Everyone has to get the newest model out. It's better this, better that. But it's a device. And if it's not used very wisely, it will destroy. Well, we're not ignorant, of course, of his devices, are we? Can we say with a confidence that we're not ignorant of his devices? And that's how he gets an advantage of so many. That You know, what Paul's writing there when he says this about an advantage, it, it's in the context of wrestling. You ever seen the sumos? When they're wrestling in the ring and you have to try and get, and it's, it's trying to get the advantage over another one. And that's what the enemy wants to do. How does he do it? Devices. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you turn back there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says these words, remember it's not God that tempts us, it's the devil. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, the Bible says, there has no temptation, none, none. There is no temptation. Even in a world that's filled with temptation, there is no temptation. Is the Bible up to date? Is the Bible up to date? There has no temptation, despite all the devices. There is no temptation taking you, but as is common to man. But God is faithful. Amen? Is God faithful? Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But with the temptation, so he says here, that does not mean that you won't get tempted. That means that you will be tempted. But with the temptation also, we love these words, he'll make a way off escape. Many people believe that. That ye might be able, listen, to bear it. We're in this world, but we're not off this world. We are in this world, but we're not off this world. And friends, as the temptations all around us, as they drive forward this whole age of technology and all the temptations that are being presented, let me tell you, friends, this morning, His grace is still sufficient. We are able to live a life of victory and freedom even in a world filled with all the devices and temptations, we are able through Jesus Christ to live a life of victory by the grace of God. In 2 Peter 2, you're not convinced, verse 9. Remember, we're just sticking to the word this morning. 2 Peter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says here that the Lord knows. The Lord knoweth, 2 Peter 2 and 9, the Lord knoweth. How to deliver the godly out of temptations. God knows. He's a great deliverer. And to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. Thank God we have a deliverer. He's still the same. He's the great deliverer this morning. He can deliver you from your temptation. He can deliver you from out of all the snares of the enemy. He's a great deliverer. He's come to tempt. That enemy has come to tempt us. But thank God for the grace. Thank God that God is faithful. Thank God this morning that he'll make a way of escape. And so, friends, we've got to be wise and not ignorant of the devil's devices. Is number two. Number three, 
And this is important to discern this one. And number three is 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12 and 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You can pray till the cows come home and rebuke the devil, but I'm going to tell you something. You'll never go. The reason being that Paul was so mightily used in revelation and miracles that God permitted a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. He prayed how many times? Three times. Lord, take it away. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. This word buffeting, do what it means? It means to wrap with the fist. Figuratively, it is talking, of course, of the chastisement of God. God move in his great power in your life, miraculous power. Miracles begin to happen. I'm going to tell you something. God may permit a circumstance or some things to happen in order to keep you at a place of humility. No rebuking the devil from morning to night is going to change that. But what helps that is the grace of God. The buffeting or the chastisement of God, number three. Number four is found in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. We have fear, temptation, the buffeting. Number four is sifting. The end time sifting of the church is already happening because everything that can be shaken is being shaken. Luke 22, verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. Then what does the Lord say? But I've prayed for you, what? That your faith doesn't fail. So we're talking about a shake. Have you ever done any sifting in the garden? I haven't, but I've seen people do it. <laughs> Have you ever done any sifting with a flour or bacon? I haven't, but I've certainly seen Nicky do it, seen Caleb do it. When you put the stuff in and you have to give it a good shake, isn't that right? And as you shake it, then the undesirables are left in the sift and everything of the pure comes out. I want to tell you, friend, the world's being shaken. The church is being shaken. Why? God's going to use this to bring the undesirable out and he's going to bring forth a bride for his glory. Everything around us is being shaken right at this moment. Everything around us, friends, do not underestimate that. Everything is being shaken. The world's economies are being shaken. We're hearing the reports already, just like we did back pre-2008. Many said then, I believe it, that it hasn't ended yet. Many were starting to come out and saying, there's going to be a crash. There's going to be a breakdown. There's going to be this. And already you're hearing them coming again. There's about to be a crash. Only this time, let me tell you what the difference is to the last time. There's no money in the bank. They can't bail it out. Do you understand? But you see, our hope's not in the financial institutions. Our hope is not in the political systems. 
Our hope is not in the social fabric of what they're trying to create today. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. So the shaking and the sifting is when the enemy is permitted. Look, here we see it's the Lord speaking to Simon. He's going to sift you as wheat. Simon, he's going to shake. It's like he's going to shake the life out of you. It's like everything's being shaken. You're in a real battle and it's all shaking. Anyone feel that this morning? The shaking. It's like right into the very core of your being. You're being shaken. The Lord, this morning, I want to encourage you. He's praying for you. Your faith doesn't fail. The sifting, number five, is found in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And this number five is to devour. 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober. That's a hard thing for a lot of people in the church today. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Do you know that word devour? It simply means to gulp down in one go. Have you ever seen feeding time at our house? There's a lot of gulping down in one go. Just one gulp, it's gone. The word, where did that milkshake I bought, I bought go? I said to Nicky, what happened to the milkshake? It's gone. I mean, we need a padlock in the fridge. It's unbelievable. You know, you leave a bar of chocolate. Where's that bar of chocolate? I hear Nicky saying, where's that bar of chocolate? Ten empty. It's gulped. And one go. I don't know how to do it so quick, but to do it, you've got to be quick. But that is the enemy's work here in the devouring. He's looking for an opportunity. I tell you, friend, young people, in one go, he'll gulp you up and he'll destroy your waste. You'll waste your youth and you'll waste your life in this world. Give it to Jesus. Run the course. Fight the fight. In one gulp. See, we're no match. You know, I just want to say this. We're no match for Satan. No match. I tell you who is more than a match, Jesus. It's not us. It's him. And so the devouring power of the enemy, if he can, he's looking to gulp you in one go. But we've just been talking about the whole thing that's happening in America with that judge. Let me tell you something, friends. Even an allegation can destroy your life. Even an allegation. I tell you, we need to be, we need to be wise. Just an allegation is enough to destroy. Isn't it true? So he's looking to devour. Number six. I've only another one after this, don't worry. Number six, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Paul writing, he says, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, and even I, Paul, even I, Paul, so I just want to say this, even I, Paul, no, just, we need to understand this because I can remember maybe the first year into this church, I, I can remember preaching on this particular verse. Someone approached me afterwards, doesn't come to the church, but was visiting that day, and said to me, I'm not hindered by anybody. Nobody hinders me. And I said, well, I'm just saying, this is what Paul said. This is Paul. 
We just need to be careful in what we say and how we think. Because the Bible says, take heed, take heed, lest you also would fall. Here it says, wherefore we would have come to even I, Paul, once and again. Then he says, but Satan, Satan hindered us. Now to hinder means to hold back, to block. In a figurative sense, it means to impede. And see the word impede, uh, that word just in a study, that word impede comes from a Latin word which means to shackle your feet. You ever tried running? Have you ever done a three-legged race? It's hard to run with a two-legged race, but have you ever done it when you're shackled and you're trying to run, but if you don't get in unison, you're down? Have you ever, I don't know what ever happened to you, this, have you ever when your kids are young and you're sitting there and then one of them creeps onto the table and takes your laces out, ties your shoelaces together, and, and, then they're, and then you get up and you go to walk? Has that ever happened to you? It's just my kids. And then you try to walk. What happens? Boom. This is how the enemy would impede the church. You see, we're in a race and we're going to run. I was just about to run there, but I won't. I can run down this hall. If I take off and my laces are tied, you know where I'm heading. And so the enemy would seek to hinder the church of Jesus Christ in her pursuit to live a holy life for Jesus to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe God, to stand for him in these wicked days, to look to him, to rejoice in him, to believe for souls, to believe for God to move in his power. And know what he wants to do? He wants to shackle us. But praise God this morning, our shackles are gone. Are your shackles gone? Are your, is your spirit free? As, as the echoes of grace sang from the shankle road, my, my shackles are gone. My spirit is free. Oh, praise God. He lifted me. Yes. Are your shackles broke? See, he wants to impede you. Number seven. I'm moving on quickly. Really out of time. Number seven. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. And then over into Revelation chapter 12. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he is. He's the accuser of the brethren. I want to tell you something about the enemy's accusations. They're nearly always partly true. The worst form of lying, and I've said it already, is the lies that have truth in them. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're partly true. He takes the truth. He mixes it up with a few lies. And then he presents it. So one part of it's true. In other words, I remember years ago, uh, there was a wee man, wee Jimbo Robinson, down in Forest Side. And he, he's buried here in Balna Hinch. And he used to sing a song, but he used to sing it about somebody else, Big Geordie, a doorman. And he used to say, Big Geordie was a gambler, but Jesus set him free. The first part's actually true. He was a gambler. The enemy will come and accuse you of what you were. But it's not what you were. It's who you are in Jesus. So the accusation is, you know, I hate walking through these shopping centers with Nicky sometimes and see someone who went to school. I go, ooh, that's that fellow who went to school. And Nicky goes, oh, no, what do you do? <laughs> it's true. That's what I was. But that's not what I am. 
Because I've been born again by the Spirit of God. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. And all my sins are under the blood. So he will accuse us or condemn us of what we used to be. Sure, you're not worthy to eat at the table this morning. Look who you are. Look what you have done. Look at the life that you used to live. Well, praise the Lord. That might be true. But I've found a new life. Do you see it this morning? It's being wise. Using the word of God effectively. And so above all, for Ephesians 6, 16, take the shield of, what does it say? Faith. Got to get the shield of faith. Faith is God's word. Get the shield of faith whereby you will be able to quench most of the very darts of the wicked. doesn't say, it says all. Every lie from the pit of hell, every work of the enemy, get the shield of faith up. That's God's word. Believing in the word of God that I'm saved. I'm washed in the blood. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I once was a wretched sinner, but I'm saved by the grace of God. And every fiery dart that begins to come, but you've done this. You used to do that. You were like that. That's how you talk. You've done that in that person. You say, even as Christians, friends, thank God for the blood. So he comes with all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation. It's going to protect your mind. The word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Friends, we're in a battle. We are in a battle, and the accuser of the brethren will come. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, he will come to deceive And he will also come to accuse, but we've got great news when we come to God's word. Revelation 12 and 9. The great dragon which was cast down, that is the devil, the old serpent, called the devil Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast onto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That's a third of the heavenly host. Verse 10, it says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, what's happened through the cross? He's been cast down. He's been cast down. He accused them before our God day and night. And, would you read it with me? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and all ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows his time is great wrath. But he knows as to how we're going to overcome. We get a new method together? No. We're going to overcome by the old ways and the old paths. It's the blood of the Lamb. And I tell you, friends, there's no greater thing that can happen in Balnehenge than those cherry brothers both get wonderfully saved and set free and walk around Balnehenge free, free by the power of a living God. That's the answer. That's the answer to it all, friends. Lives changed by the power of a living Christ, born again of the Spirit of the living God. There is no better, and I say this reverently, advertisement. I don't, I don't, I can't think of a better word, but there's no better advertisement than a life changed by the power of a living God. Nothing, friends, born again of the Spirit of God. Now, we need to stand on the precious promises, and here they are. Very quickly, I'll go through them, but follow them with me, would you? 1 John 4 and 4. Would you turn 
And now we turn to what we need to stand on, what we need to know, what we need to memorize, what we need to walk in, what we need to pray, what we need to sing about, what we need to preach about, what we must believe in in these days. 1 John 4 and 4, would you read the verse with me nice and loud? Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Would you say amen? You have, if you're saved, you have the greater one on the inside. The greater one. And who is that greater one? That's Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Friends, I tell you, that is rejoicing ground. Jesus lives in my heart this morning. The man who created the universe and contains it all within himself. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. The greater one is in the inside. We didn't sing it last week. I think Jeff was going to sing it. But he is greater than all my problems. He is bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Oh yes, he's bigger than all my questions. Bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or I cannot see. I'm going to tell you, friends, we've got the greater one on the inside. Paul writing number two from Rome, no doubt, was surrounded by the great and the grand statues celebrating the great emperors and warriors of the Roman Empire. They say often found in these monuments was the Latin phrase. Okay, I just studied this. I don't do Latin. But it was Roma Invicta, meaning unconquered Rome. You just think of that prisoner being brought through the streets of Rome, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all around him was the great and grand empire of the of Rome that took over most of the known world. And there he's being led through in chains as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great warrior, the great warrior Paul, the apostle. And he writes... When he sees this, this, this Roma and Victor unconquered Rome. But in Romans 8 and verse 37, if you turn there and read it with me, friends, this morning, in this kingdom that's surrounding us, this world that's all about us, we can say with Paul this morning, Romans 8 and verse 37. Are you there? Let's read it together. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you say amen? amen. We're more than conquerors. Who? Through Jesus. It's not through us. It's through Him this morning. He's greater. The greater ones in the inside. We're new creatures. We're brand new men and women. The old things have passed away. We've been born again. We're more than a conqueror. That's what I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Women, you can sing that too. Because it's generic. We're brand new men this morning. Number three, he gives us victory. Thank God he does give us the victory. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 and 58, would you read it with me this morning? 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, 
unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, because he gives us the victory, then Paul says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because he gives us the victory. Friends, he gives us the victory this morning. We have the greater one on the inside. We're more than conquerors. He gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our great deliverer. Second Corinthians 1 and 10 says this. And this is one of my favorite verses. I'm sure you've heard me quote it before. Second Corinthians 1 and 10. I'll wait till you get there. Then we'll read it together. Second Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Over there. Let's read it together. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust and he will yet deliver us. He delivers yesterday. We sung it this morning. Yesterday, today and forever. As true as he hasn't changed, neither has his delivering power. He delivered me yesterday. He'll deliver me today. I praise the Lord. I trust him and he's going to deliver me tomorrow. A great standing we have in Jesus. Let me just ask you, where do you stand? Is this the whole thing today? Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Where do you, this is where I stand. Romans 5 and verse 1. This is where I stand. Romans 5 verse 1 and 2 says these words. Let's read it together. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Where do you stand? That's where I stand. Is that where you stand? We just say amen if you stand there, justified by faith. This is our standing. By the grace of God, this is where we stand. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, but on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks of the devil. We don't wrestle against the flesh and the blood and principalities and powers and the and rulers of this world against wickedness in high places. That's for we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against those things. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye might be able to withstand in the evil day. This is an evil day. This is an evil day. How are you going to stand? With the full armor of God, by the grace of God, and having done all, we have to stand. Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite, the Philistines were gathered together in a troop. There was a piece of ground full of lentils. The people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it slew the Philistines and the Lord see when you stand the Lord will bring a great victory when you stand will you stand for something because let me tell you something young people older people alike see if you don't make a stand for something you'll fall for anything if you don't make a stand you'll fall for anything and know what you'll fall for everything make a stand for Jesus in every place, number six, nearly there. In every place, number six, wherever you may be, in your workplace, school, streets, wherever it is, factory, driving, whatever you do, 
In 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, this is what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Would you read it with me again this morning? Nearly there. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Let's read it together. Now thanks be unto God, which causes, always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Which always causes us to triumph. Here's the important word, in. In Christ. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by who? Who is the us? Anybody know who the us is? It's us. It's us. Where is where does this happen? Happens in every place. Everywhere we go. Everyone we come into contact with. He'll cause us to triumph. That we would be a sweet smelling savor unto God. Number seven. I just come to a close with this now. Number seven. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. We're going to read 3, 3 to 7. But this is something that we need to know as we're just coming into the final approach of all of this. Friend, this morning, we're not kept by ourselves, but we're kept by the power of a living God. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Let's read it together through to verse 7. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We are kept by the power, the abundant mercy of God, the lively hope we're kept by the power, that word is dynamis. That's the miraculous, supernatural power of a living God. Friends, this morning, what hope we have in Jesus. What weapons we have in this warfare that we're to wage a good fight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. They cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The whole victory and the whole essence of everything of who we are and our victory, even though there's an intense battle of this day, faith in God in the face and the intensity of the powers of darkness Knowing that you and I, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him. He's forgiven us all our trespasses. He's blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. 
He's took it out of their way and he's nailed it all to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly and he triumphed over them in it. Friends, this morning, there's victory in Jesus. Absolutely. We're in a battle, but there's victory in Jesus. We've got a warfare, but there's victory in Jesus. Year by year, Hannah is going to that house. Now she comes to that house, her enemy is pursuing her, provoking her, pursuing after her relentlessly. Hannah had a persistent faith. She wept, she prayed, she cried out to God. I want to tell you something, friends. God was about to do a new thing in all of Israel. And I believe in this day, with everything that's within me, God's about to do a new thing. And that's why the battle's raging. Just before Moses came, there was slaughter in Egypt. Just before Jesus was born, or at Jesus' birth, there was slaughter in Israel. I'm going to tell you as we approach the finale of it all, I wonder this morning, how many, how many babies have been slaughtered in the womb? How many Amy Carmichael's how many W.P. Nicholson's have never made it into this world that have already been slaughtered by this Western world? And friends, I believe God's about to do something wonderful in these days. Persistent faith, a conviction, standing on the promises of God. The victory is, could I encourage you, keep on believing, keep on praying, keep on singing, keep on shouting, because God has never failed and he's not going to fail now. Let's trust him this morning. Let's have a faith in God. Would you stand with me this morning? Brother David, Gillian, Jonathan, come.